Hello, it's Tuesday the 9th of June. I'm Jules Breach. He's Andy Brassel and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. You know, I see a lot of people on, on the socials and stuff, but, you know, this is something that needs more than just talking. You know, we need to actually implement change and highlight the, the places that do need changes. Today, we continue the discussion on racism after Raheem Sterling's interview on Newsnight. And we get back to talking about the football with the Premier League restart just a week away now. Andy, it is good to be back. Thank you for dealing with a very last minute sick note from me on Tuesday last week. And um, I have to say thanks to Marcus for filling in. It was one of those where the pain was just so much. I had the worst toothache, guys, in case any of you haven't seen from my Instagram of me telling the story about what happened. Um, But yeah, the worst toothache known to man, I swear. And so it was one of those where very last minute I had to get to an emergency dentist and have some dental treatment done where they pulled my tooth out, which was not fun, Andy, not fun at all. Well, it's it's just great to have you back and it's great that you threw it. And yes, thank you to Marcus, our knight in shining armour for helping us <laughs> through it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to Marcus for, for stepping in so last minute. Um, now, last week was, of course, Blackout Tuesday. And I know that the discussions on racism have continued. And I think it's a really important thing for us to discuss. And also, I obviously wasn't able to give my point of view on all of these discussions last week because of my absence. And Again, in this last few days, we've seen even more people speak out about their experiences of racism and particularly racism in football as well. And last night, I'm sure many of you will have seen Raheem Sterling's interview on Newsnight where he spoke once again so eloquently and so openly about what he thinks needs to be done in football in order for more change to be seen What I thought was really poignant about what he said, Andy, is that when it comes to speaking out about his thoughts on racism, he said he doesn't ever really think about his job when things like this happen. He he just thinks about what is right to speak out about. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen as very consistent whenever Raheem Sterling does speak publicly about his personal experiences. And in terms of what he wants to see change... He wants to see more black coaches. He wants to, I think the quote he actually said on the program was, when I can go to a member of the FA who is black, that's when I will know that change has been good. He says he wants to see more black coaches and managers be given an opportunity. And it's about highlighting that and then hopefully seeing some change, Andy. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Jules. And um, I think it's something that's indicative of the problem that, for the fact that for, for years now, and not just in, um, in in the in the Premier League or in England, but but elsewhere, you've been able to count the the number of uh, top level coaches and sporting directors really on, on on the fingers of one hand. You've been able to name them all off the top of your head, which is 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 a huge problem. Um, and um, I think Raheem Sterling's eloquence is something um, of course we had the excellent Melissa Reddy on here last week and it was something that I I wanted to get onto um, with her but we we didn't really have time in in the end because of course there was there was so much to discuss the fact that when Melissa was talking and writing in her independent article about the fact that we we have a new different generation 
of, of, of black players now who under 23 feel more comfortable in coming out and speaking about issues affecting the black community rather than just fitting in as it were with with the way that football's always been and using social media to do that and i I personally i don't know what you think jules i i I do think that um raheem sterling has, has has been the 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 leader for this really it's it's been him from a very high profile position speaking out directly without any filter without any fear that has empowered a, a lot of younger players to to do this and and i think helped shape this new generation and, and and give them confidence to to have a voice and we can look at everything that's happening in the in, in the world at the moment and the black lives matter mo- uh, movement of course is, is is something that's huge in in, in the world and in, in the forefront of our, our minds in all parts of society at the, at the moment but um i don't think we should underestimate the fact that football and the way it interacts uh, with and acknowledges the movement is is really important. I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but um, a couple of of you might have seen on on Instagram um, recently. There was um, there's a mur- mural that's gone up on the side of a shop in uh, St Paul, which is the twin city of uh, Minneapolis in Minnesota, of course, and um, it's it's a mural of Jaden Sancho having taken his shirt off um, at Paderborn, having scored the goal and revealing that undershirt, the, the Dortmund undershirt with um, Justice for George Floyd written on it. And for an English footballer playing in Germany to be the subject of a mural in in the United States, to me, that shows just how huge his his action was this is something from football that far transcended football and you know it's a seminal moment not just for people like us who who are plugged into the football agenda it just goes to show the power that the sportsmen can have andy doesn't it it goes to show just what they can do with their platforms and with their voices they they truly can be heard And I think that every single person will agree that this situation is much bigger than any individual. But if we don't all try and use our voices however we can, and obviously that's going to be different for every person, we have the ability to give our opinions on this podcast every week. Footballers have the ability to reach millions of people on their social media platforms through the television when they're playing football matches with their celebrations, like we've seen with Jaden Sancho, for example. So there are all different levels of how we can all use our voice. But I believe that if we don't do that, then it would be a waste of an opportunity for real change. And I really do see this now as an opportunity. It feels different for some reason this time around. And the Black Lives Matter campaign is all about equality amongst people, no matter what the color of their skin. And equality, I believe, should always be the the kind of base standard of how things should be in life. Equality isn't something that people should be grateful for. I, I shouldn't have to feel grateful that I'm treated equally as an ethnic minority female journalist working in this industry. But I am grateful for that because equality isn't something that's a given, unfortunately. And it's exactly the same with racism. But I think that one of the most positive things to come out of 
everything that's happened. And it's so sad that it's taken something so tragic for such a huge kind of impact to be had. But the fact that we're now openly talking about racism in this country is a hugely positive step. I've never seen this level of open discussion about racism before. And although it's heartbreaking to hear of people suffering, it's also kind of liberating to see people using their platforms and and using their voices in order to be heard and in order to implement change. And the fact that so many black people feel empowered and brave enough to openly share their struggles and their thoughts so that the rest of us, we can all understand and learn more about what they're going through, what they've had to go through. And on top of that, that so many non-black people are taking the time to listen, to learn, to educate themselves, their families. I I honestly believe that this will go down as a a huge moment in history. And, And going back to what we were saying about Raheem Sterling using his voice to speak out, it's prompted other people to do the same. Micah Richards this week spoke openly about his experiences of racism in football. And he actually, he said that if you're in a white dominated sport and the people at the top of that are predominantly white males, then you kind of have this feeling where you don't want to step out of line. And he said that at times in his career, he felt scared to speak out about what was right and what was wrong and, and didn't want to say anything out of line because he felt that it could potentially affect his career. And we don't want that to be happening anymore. It should be an equal playing field. People should be able to feel equal, particularly in their workplace. And and that needs to change. And and hopefully other black players will be inspired and, and take strength from others speaking out as well. But I think it's, it's easy to forget, um, especially if you're white sometimes, that what a, a trudge it is for black people and um, uh, minority ethnic people to, to make themselves heard because um, you look at Mario Balotelli, who's going through this situation with Brescia at the moment um, where they're getting rid of him basically before the, the end of his contract. Um, Massimo Cellino, um, the president who, who was previously the owner of Leeds, um, has said he's, he's not been turning out for training. This is something that Balotelli disputes. But um, there's, there's a great article about it by James Horncastle in, in The Athletic uh, this week. And um, I think it brought home, and if you think back on Balotelli's season for, for Brescia, um, it brought home how much he's had to go through all over again and how much he's had to go through throughout his career. And sometimes, you know, people have said, well, he's not been the most professional. And, you know, that's really nothing to do with it. That's absolutely nothing to do with everything that he's been through. As you say, Jules, he should be able to, as every black footballer should be able to, he should be able to expect, you know, a base standard of treatment. And even this season, when he's gone home, Basically, for those who aren't aware, he grew up in in, in Brescia, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this more um, on on the continent with Luke more later in the week. Um, he's gone home, and his his mum cried with joy when he signed for for, for Brescia because he, he went he went back home, and and she was delighted to have him back. But that, that's the place where you should feel most safe, isn't it? But this season, um, he's been abused from the stands again. And he's even had to put up with a racist comment from Cellino, his president, which 
afterwards, Shalino said, oh, well, it was a joke. He didn't actually apologize for it, as James pointed out in his article, which is absolutely atrocious. This is something that Balotelli has had to put up with since he was a teenager, and he's still putting it up with it now. Now he's nearly 30. And I think when we talked about Raheem Sterling speaking out there, yeah, it is great that um, he's not only got that platform on Newsnight, but he's able to to use it so effectively, so eloquently. But then you see it published on, on, on Twitter and some of the comments underneath, they're really dispiriting. You know, it's you just you just read through it and you think there's a hell of a long way to to go th- from this. And um, in terms of leadership in football and particularly English football, um, clearly the Football Association are trying to do something. You go back a couple of years and they had the Equality Action Plan, um, where they're, they're trying to double um, the amount of um, uh, black, Asian, and minority ethnic. Uh, occupants of of um, leadership roles from i think it's, it's it was at the time it was five percent and they're trying to get it up to um 11 percent and um it's, it's something that chris powell talked about last year didn't it didn't he when he um he, he took on the the england assistant uh coach's job but it is a climb and it's it's gonna take a a really long time and unfortunately something like this it's it's not just a a case of using a hashtag or um, saying yes, I believe in this. It's about being constant. It's about being relentless, and that's what people who've been trying to increase representation, particularly in leadership roles in English football, have have, have had to do, and what they'll continue to to have to do. I remember um, back in February 2018, Chris Hewton, who was obviously manager of Brighton at the time, was awarded the Premier League Manager of the Month award and he became the first black manager to win that award in the Premier League, which, as we've already spoken about, it it goes to show the, the lack of representation that we've had at the top level of the game in terms of coaches they haven't been winning the award because there haven't been enough top level coaches from black and minority ethnic groups. And I remember I, I posted a tweet about it, Andy, and I, obviously being a Brighton fan, I was particularly proud of Chris Hewton winning this award because we'd had an amazing month in the Premier League that February and, and he thoroughly deserved it. And, and I remember tweeting saying, you know, so proud Chris Hewton be, becoming the first black Premier League manager to win the the manager of the month award. And some of the comments that I got in reply were just kind of, to me, really baffling. People saying, why are you pointing out the color of his skin? Why is that important? Well, it's important because he's the first. And whenever there's a first, that means that anything after that is then possible. And in the hope that we would then see more managers follow suit, more black and ethnic black and ethnic minority managers be given opportunities at the top level so that we don't have to talk about the first or the second, but there's always going to be a first when something hasn't happened before. And I found that incredible that some people thought it wasn't important to mention that he was the first black manager to win that award, because to me, that is an extremely important thing to mention. And I think that so often, going back to what we were saying about about players, when it comes to sport and particularly football in this country, it it sometimes appears that there's this viewpoint from some people that that things can't be that bad in society, that 
racism can't be that bad if black footballers are idolized, if some of the best footballers in the world are black footballers. The fact that some black footballers are paid the same as their teammates, that they achieve lucrative advertising deals, for example, and that are seen as some of the kind of best, most idolized players in the world. There are some people that kind of feel like, well, how, how can how can we be a racist country if some of our best players are black? But you have to think that when these players go home, when they step away from the limelight, they're just ordinary human beings like the rest of us. And and these footballers can't perform their way to equality in society, which is why they they clearly feel so empowered to speak out and use their platforms to try and implement change. Like we've already mentioned, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, they understand the reach that they can have by speaking out. And for me personally, I think it's an incredible thing to see from these young men and, and I think it should continue to be applauded. First and foremost, I, I don't really think about my job when things like this happen, you know, I think about what, what is right. At this moment in time, you know, um, there's only so much people can take. There's only so much communities and, you know, other backgrounds can take, especially black people. You know, it's been going on for hundreds of years and, you know, people are tired. People are, you know, are, you know, are ready for, for change. Jules and Andy here on Football Ramble Daily. And of course, you can always get in touch with us at Jules Breach at Andy Brassel. Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Now, at this time next week, it'll be uh, Christmas Eve for you, won't it, Jules? Because it we will. will be on the brink of the resumption of um, the Premier League. Now, of course, there's loads of on-pitch stuff uh, to talk about as well. Um, obviously, the mystery of who's going to win the title is something that's causing us all <laughs> to bite our nails. Um, but also there's there's other stuff, isn't there? Because we're still talking about the possibility of, of, of neutral grounds, uh, particularly with uh, relation to deciding the venue for the Mer- Merseyside derby. Uh, the game in which Liverpool could win the title, that's set to be at Goodison Park and hopefully it will be at, at Goodison Park. Um, but we've also had um, lots of discussion about tickets Um, Newcastle United, a club that we know are kind of in limbo at the moment, have made no communication about um, refunding theirs, uh, their fans, um, for the games that they won't um, be able to come to. That's obviously an issue that goes further down the EFL. Sunderland have upset a lot of people with um, offering to just give iFollow credits. That's the... um, for, for those who aren't aware, um, the ability to like, watch the game on your laptop or iPad for a, a, a tenner ago if you, you're not at the game for a sort of one camera setup. It's not exactly Sky or BT Sport. So um, that's, that's something that people are understandably very unhappy about. Um, Brighton are doing the Borussia Mönchengladbach thing and you can pay money to have a cardboard um, effort of yourself. Are, are you going to do that, Jules? I am so up for this. <laughs> I really want a cardboard cutout of myself, but I want them to send me it after because I just want to see what it looks like. I think that's... that's One for the mantelpiece. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of disappointing thing is that um, you get this really cool cardboard cutout made of yourself that's going to go in the stands, but you're probably never going to see it, which is disappointing, isn't it? And, you know, I think that... I think it's actually a good idea. I don't, I don't mind this idea. I remember when... Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, when I saw that they were doing this, I kind of thought, oh, that's a bit strange. But actually, I quite like it. I prefer it to what, um, 
you, did you see what the Danish Super League, one of the Danish Super League teams did? They had this huge kind of virtual monitor screen. It was like a, yes. a curved screen that went around the yes. stadium. And they basically had thousands of their fans watching the match on Zoom and they televised them all watching it in the stadium, which God knows how they monitored that, how they monitored the sound, how they stopped people from swearing because... I mean, you've seen me watch a football match before, Andy. It's it's <laughs> there are quite a lot of uh, not very nice words that come out of my mouth sometimes. So, yeah, you know, I think that um, I prefer this idea of cardboard cutouts than having a completely empty stadium. I think that some fans are getting a bit annoyed about the fact that the the whole kind of different look and the whole different feel of having these stadiums and these matches played behind closed doors without fans there maybe having the cardboard cutouts on the lower tiers would have been a little bit better. But for whatever reason, there's obviously advertising deals and yeah. for, for for TV reasons, they, they can't fill the lower tiers. So these cardboard cutouts at the Amex are going to go in the upper tier, which means, yeah, I kind of see where the fans are coming from. They're not going to be as visible as they would have been if they were, say, in the lower north stand, for example. And I get that, but... I think this is just a nice way of being part of this next, um, the the end of the season, really. I think it's a nice way for a fan to be involved. We already know that Brighton's um, season ticket holders have been refunded the rest of their their, um, season tickets. So they're not out of pocket for this. And therefore, if they want to add £20 and they want to pay £20 in order to get a cardboard cutout of themselves put in the stadium then why not? I think go for it. I think there's there's one rule and you have to be in Brighton and Hove Albion colours. So you have to be wearing a kit or a scarf in order to have your um, your photo printed. So no funny business, in other words. I don't think you're, you're going to be allowed to kind of do anything silly with your photo, which I think a lot of fans probably were aiming for. Um, Club tie, but, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> I think you can. I think as long as you're in the the Brighton colours, then I think they're happy to print them and put them in the stands. But you know, there's there's going to be some of the money from that that will go to Albion as one, which is a brilliant fund for local charities in in Brighton and Hove. And I think these remaining five home games that Brighton have, they're against the big teams. First of all, we start off with Arsenal on Saturday. Then after that. It goes, I think, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Newcastle are the other remaining four home games after Arsenal. And those are difficult matches for Brighton considering Mm. where we are in the table. 15th place, just two points above the relegation zone. And for me, I think it's any of those bottom six that that can still go down. Potentially bottom seven. I'm not sure if I include Southampton in it, but... You just don't know what's going to happen. What we've seen with the Bundesliga, Andy, and you can speak in a lot more detail than I on this, that form pre-coronavirus has kind of gone out the window a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to um, the battle at the bottom in a, in a minute. And of course, the, the, the question over the Merseyside derby, which I, I think is a very important one. Um, but when we talk about leagues taking their cue from the Bundesliga and all leagues are are taking their cue from the Bundesliga because of course it's the first uh, major league to go back. I I wanted to come back to what you were saying about um, Brighton contributing uh, to a local charity with um, these, these, these cutouts and also about um, season ticket money. 
um, because I mean this is mainly more um, to do with clubs in the EFL, and we know they have great financial challenges. But but it is an issue, say for Newcastle United, and their fans have still not found anything out about. Um, uh, getting getting a refund, which is obviously something that that they sh- they should have been offered offered straight away. Um, I mean, it's it's fine, I think, for as Bundesliga clubs did, um, clubs to say, well, I tell you what, you can you can give up the money and you can give it, um, you can have it for as a club shop credit. Um, what a lot of Bundesliga clubs have done, have, they've, they've given it to local charities. So um, FC Cologne, for example, they said, well, if you choose to let us keep the season ticket money, we're going to spend it on amateur and grassroots football around Cologne, which I think is a tremendous initiative. And you've got other um, others who've like Borussia Dortmund have, 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 have given the money if, if the fans choose not to take a refund to um, charities that have, have dealt with the effects of uh, coronavirus and medical charities around Dortmund and, and the surrounding area, which I, th- I think is brilliant. Um, I, I would really like to see Premier League clubs do something similar. I think engaging with your community is so, so important at a a time like this. And I think what we've seen really over, over the lockdown, I think it's if if we're going back to our first subject is one of the reasons that people are having such frank and engaged discussions about important issues because um, we're all, we're all at home. We're thinking of issues that affect us directly. And also you've got, footballers for example who've got the have had the opportunity and clubs have had the opportunity to connect with their local communities and connect with people in a, a lot more direct way than than they normally have done i mean you know we've seen in players houses and stuff like that it's broken down a lot of barriers and i would love those barriers to to remain down and i think if not only if clubs and of course so many of these clubs do in, engage with their communities in, in meaningful ways but I think to engage with your community in a meaningful way in partnership with your fans would be something really special and I think adds to the relationship between a club and its supporters yeah I completely agree Andy and and I, you know we've we've all had a lot of time at home lately we've kind of all taken a, a bit of a step back from the kind of chaos of normal life of, you know, having to leave the house every day to go to work and and having spent more time at home, it's given a lot of people a lot more time to think about serious issues. And as you say, it's one of the the things that I think has brought about so many people talking so openly about racism, as we've already discussed. And I think it's the same, as you say, when it comes to things in, in the community as well, the fact that we've had all of this time to think more about the the wider effects and what we can actually achieve with football and with with the kind of money in football and the finances in football has been one of the real positives to come out of this pandemic and I'm one of those people I'm I'm very much a glass half full type of person so I do like thinking about positives to come out of kind of crappy situations and and I definitely think that that's one of them and and hopefully we'll continue to see more clubs do good things for their community. And and I know Southampton are another team who did that uh, at the start of lockdown were one of the first teams to announce um, wage deferrals. And they were doing a lot of stuff for the Southampton foundation in the community as well. And, and were one of the teams who spoke very openly about 
how important it was to to nourish their community at this time of need. And I do hope as well, just like you said, Andy, that we see more of that happening. You know, if we're talking about the on-pitch stuff, though, Jules, it's interesting you bring up Southampton because I wonder if what you were saying before about them, you know, are they in the relegation conversation, aren't they? Well, of course, they've got a seven-point cushion and there's a lot of teams that are are closely packed together in Brighton, West Ham, Watford, Bournemouth and and Villa, four points between those, those five. I wonder if part of the reason that we think Southampton are safe, it's not just about the point gap. It's about they've given their coach a new contract (laughs) while we've, while we've been in lockdown and uh, Ralph Hasenhutl seems delighted to stay. But I think the image of stability at a time like this is, is actually really important, isn't it? Yeah, completely. That was, um, again, it's kind of news that you don't expect to see during this time, isn't it? But but really positive news, particularly after Southampton's performance against Leicester earlier on this season. And that was a, a real turning point for Southampton. It could have gone terribly wrong after that. You know, that was that's a game that Southampton fans don't want to remember. But really, in a way, did that kind of spark the kind of second part of the season for Southampton? Did that yeah. actually kick things into gear? And and seeing the way that Ralph Hasenhutl turned things around after that is probably a huge reason as to why he's been offered a new deal at Southampton and why they want to keep hold of him. They've seen how he dealt with one of the hardest things to come back from in football, an absolute thrashing like that, something that's so embarrassing and something that's so difficult to pick your players up from. He managed to do that. And so I think he thoroughly deserves a, a new contract. And, and that stability right now for Southampton will be very positive in this kind of final stretch of the season. Because as you say, it's very close at the bottom. It's so it's so difficult to call. Now, obviously, as a Brighton fan, I'm looking at this and I'm I'm looking at these next games very nervously indeed. And I, I am concerned. I'm I'm worried because as you say, just four points are between those bottom five excluding Norwich, but just eight points if you include Norwich in that. Eight points is nothing. When you look at these games, I think um, Daniel Farker has actually said that he is looking at every single one of these games as a cup final. And I think that all of the bottom seven teams need to do that because every single point at this stage will matter. And I think that especially with these last few games as well, the way that the matches are going to be played, the fact that you sort of lose that home advantage to a certain degree, despite the fact that the teams are going to be playing in their own stadiums, it's not the same without the fans. You're not going to have that same home advantage that you would have done before. So is there a bit more of a level playing field than normal with the way that this kind of relegation fight is going to play out? What do you think, Andy? Um, I, I do wonder about that. I think um, it, it's so tight to call and we don't know how people are going to react to, to the new conditions. Um, I think you look elsewhere in the table and you just think, of course, the, the, the one thing that maybe we haven't mentioned so far because we've been looking at the logistics of it so much is how injured players coming back might might affect the situation. I mean, Spurs had some pictures up on their their social media, didn't they, of um, uh, Harry Kane back in training, uh, mm. Stephen Bergvine. And, you know, if if 
you start to look at the table a bit more closely now, don't you? I mean, the state of the Premier League table had been completely out of my mind because we've not been on it for for nearly three months. But now I've, I've I just brought it up again this morning, and I'm having another look at it. And in my mind, I knew Tottenham were eighth. I thought, well, they're out of Champions League contention. But of course, we know that Manchester City are um, having their appeal heard at Cass for uh, their two year ban for the Champions League. So you know, it's possible that fifth could be. Um, enough for for Champions League football this season. Tottenham are eighth. They're only four points off fifth and they've got all those players back. So I think there are so many of these little effects that will be applicable to both the top and the bottom that will only really start to, to absorb as... As as the games start to start to restart, because I think even for people who follow the Premier League really closely, you almost need to refamiliarise yourself with it <laughs> after a, after a little while. I mean, I'm I'm still really interested to see what happens with Liverpool's title coronation. Obviously, they deserve it. They've had a brilliant season, and, and they'll be fully deserved Premier League champions. But I do think this. Um, this discussion over the the venue for the for the Merseyside derby is is really interesting because we know that the Liverpool City Council and and their um, safety advisory board are, are going to meet this week to um, decide whether it's at Goodison or they're worried about people congregating outside, aren't they, or in local yeah, parks yeah. And, and and breaching social distancing. Um, it's interesting how the, the it's the mayor of Liverpool, isn't it? Mayor Anderson has 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 changed his opinion on on it because he originally thought that people would come outside and break social distancing and now he feels that a bit more trust should should be offered now of course it was um the the chief of national football police mark roberts who suggested the idea that there were these what high risk games in areas where passion is unbridled and all this sort of stuff where where games would maybe be shifted to to neutral venues um I think again, if we're going back and taking the the Bundesliga as an example, um, we haven't really seen supporters congregating outside stadiums, and I think the vast majority of people in society, um, and I, I think football supporters are, are really good at um, realizing what's for the collective good a lot of the time certainly match going football supporters are are, are good at that I I think maybe a bit of trust has to be extended here we have to try and it is a really unusual situation but we do have to try and replicate conditions that are faithful to the Premier League season as, as much as we possibly can which obviously is impossible but we have to get as close as we can to the real thing right yeah I completely agree and and we have to remember that this is Liverpool's opportunity to clinch their first title in 30 years. Now, from all the Liverpool fans that I've spoken to who are obviously so happy that the football is restarting and that Liverpool are going to get that opportunity because at one stage, you know, it was it was looking it was looking 50-50 as to whether the season was going to come back or not. It was looking like there could be a null and void situation where Liverpool weren't going to be properly awarded the title that they so deserve from their performances this season. But from the Liverpool fans I've spoken to, I don't think any of them want anything to taint this title now that they're able to go ahead and win it properly and get the points that they deserve in order to lift that trophy and and it be awarded in, in the kind of right manner, if that makes sense. 
there's there's not any Liverpool fans that I know of who will want to go out there and break these social distancing rules and break the rules that are put in place where you shouldn't congregate outside stadiums because they don't want anything to be taken away from what an amazing season yeah. it has been for them and the fact that they now can lift that title that they so deserve. So I'm I'm with Mayor Anderson on this one. I think that his his ability to kind of change his mind on this as well and take a bit of time to to see whether there is a possibility that these games can be played at Anfield and that the derby can go ahead at Goodison Park a week on Sunday, I think is the right thing. And I think that that's something that we've seen quite a lot of during this pandemic, that at times we might think one thing. And then when we take a bit of a step back and take the time to yeah, think about things, take definitely. the time to look into things a bit more in detail, we can actually go, hey, you know what, I got that wrong. And you know what I think that this is going to be possible and I think that this is going to go down very well with the Liverpool fans because they want to see their team be able to play the matches at Anfield they want to be able to see the derby go ahead at Goodison Park albeit it's different to normal it's not going to be the same type of derby as it as it would have been with the fans in the stadium of course not we, we understand that and we, we we know where we're at with that situation now with these games being played behind closed doors but actually I think that hopefully they can get the protocols in place and that these games will go ahead in in their home grounds and and it looks as though that's going to be the case now which is good right well can't wait for it all to start and can't wait to see how Jules gets stuck back in uh, to the Fantasy League. Hold on a minute, Jules. Don't <laughs> yeah. get too excited. On that subject, actually, on tomorrow's... It's already too late. It's already too late, Andy. <laughs> I'm, I'm already overly excited. Unlimited transfers. You can't go wrong for the restart of Fantasy Premier League. It's basically just how I'm going to spend the rest of my week now, transferring in a million different players and transferring them back out again and getting ready for the games to begin. I can't believe though, that when, when we get going again on June the 17th, it'll be exactly a hundred days since the last match in the premier league was played. That's wow. madness. That's can't amazing. Wait. Well, the, can't the, fact, wait. the fact that this summer is being eclipsed by club football does put a bit more pressure on the fact that you're meant to be coaching me for fantasy football next season, aren't you? So we're going to have to fit that in. That as well as everything else post-pandemic is going to have to be delayed. But um, on the subject of fantasy football, uh, Jim has got a, a great episode of Fantasy Five Aside tomorrow. He's joined by Radio One Extra and Five Live DJ Nick Bright. And his team features features quite a lovely mix of grace and thuggery so well worth listening to that one that's my kind of thing well more thuggery actually but a bit of grace <laughs> yeah make sure you give that a listen tomorrow fantasy five aside you can find it on the usual football ramble daily feed it's been an absolute pleasure as always andy that's all from us this week um thank you to everyone who has been in touch with us both on Jules and Andy we we genuinely love hearing from you guys and have loved all your correspondence um, over the last season as we get ready for the rest of the Premier League season to get back underway but Andy it's been a pleasure as always I'll see you next week Good day. This was a Stakhanov production